You're listening to the Good Samaritan Anglican Church Podcast. The following sermon was recorded on Sunday, September 9th, 2018. A reading from the book of James. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, and he goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. My parents live in Massachusetts, as many of you know, and we were visiting them just a few weeks ago, and very close to their house is the town of Plymouth, Massachusetts, which is, of course, famous as the site where the pilgrims first landed and built their community. Uh, And one of the things that I like about visiting my parents, aside from the fact that we get to visit my parents, is that we also get to visit this place called Plymouth Plantation, which is a a historic recreation of what that pilgrim village might have looked like with historically accurate houses, costumes, and the, the people who work there actually dress up as the pilgrims. And when you talk to them, they, they talk in character as if they are that pilgrim. So you can't ask them a modern question because they'll give you a confused look and a confused answer. Kind of fun. Uh, but one place that's outside of that pilgrim world is the craft center. And in the craft center, there used to be a man there who did 16th century woodworking. And he, uh, it was very different from the way we do woodworking now, of course, because there weren't any power tools. So everything he did was with hand tools. But he also had a very specific, special technique that's different from the way we do woodworking today, and that's that he worked with green wood. Now, green wood is wood that hasn't been dried. Now we, we dry wood in a kiln, and we get it really hard before we start working on it. And especially if you're working with a hard wood like oak, you really need power tools to do anything productive with it. But this man would take green oak, and he would split it, and he would work with it while it was still wet, which made it really easy to work with with his tools. And I thought this was fascinating. It was just a, a completely different approach to woodworking. So I started reading articles about this. I started buying and reading books about this and watching videos about this. I even bought a few of the kinds of tools you might use for this kind of woodworking. But I did make a spoon once. It wasn't a very good spoon, but it was a spoon. You, you couldn't really eat with it, but you might stir something with it. And that's as far as I ever got. I never made a box, I never made a chair, I never made a stool. I had visions of doing these things, 
but I never actually did it. I never put these things I was learning into practice. And if you really want to know something, you can't just fill your head with knowledge about that thing. You have to put it into practice. And it's the same thing with our faith, and especially with the scriptures. To get something out of God's word, it's not enough just to fill your head with facts about the Bible so you can win on American Bible Challenge. What you have to do is do what it says. You listen to what it says, but then you put it into practice. You do what it says. And in the epistle this morning, James tells us that we need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. He says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, and then he goes away and forgets what he looks like. That's what it's like if we read the word without putting it into practice. But he says that this is deceiving ourselves. How is it deceiving yourself to read God's word and not put it into practice? Well, I think it has to do with the fact that we can lull ourselves into a sense of comfort that by resting in our religion, we have found salvation. We might say something to ourselves like, well, I go to church, so I'm okay. But this is a passive sort of a religion. It's a passive religion in that it doesn't impact our lives. It doesn't change us as people. It doesn't draw us closer to God, and it doesn't make us more holy. Similarly, one commentator on this passage says, It is possible to be unfailingly regular in Bible reading, but to achieve no more than to have moved the bookmark forward. This is reading with an unattentive spirit. The word is read, but it is not heard. And it's really easy to do that. We can get so focused on moving the bookmark forward in our Bible that we don't take time to really think about or process or apply the things that we read in these pages. And so you can read a lot of scripture and not get anything out of it. How many of you have ever read a a book, maybe even at nighttime as you're going to bed, and you've been reading and reading and reading, and then you realize, oh, wait a second, I turned my brain off. I have to go back three pages because I missed everything that I just read. And we can do that with the Bible, too. It's really easy to do that. When we're tired, when we're first waking up in the morning, when we're going to bed at night, or when we're just thinking about something else, it's really easy to be productive in reading the words, as in our eyes glance over the pages, but not really think about or meditate on what's been said, and not at all apply it to our lives. And those second two pieces are just as important as the first. You can't apply God's word if you're not reading it, so obviously that's important. But if you're reading it but not applying it, the reading is of little or no value. It's not enough just to read it. We have to put it into practice. Our God is active, and he desires active religion. He wants us to actively go out and serve. He wants us to be active in resisting the temptations of the world. And this is the action that we are inspired to by the scriptures if we take the time to let them settle down into our hearts and minds and bear fruit in our lives. 2 Timothy uh, has some wonderful words to say about the scriptures. Uh, This is sort of the the go-to passage when we're talking about what the scriptures are and what they're good for. 
But here Paul says to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God. So every word of this Bible comes from God himself through human authors. There are two authors of the Bible that, well, actually there's, there's, you know, probably 50 or 60 authors of the Bible because there's God and then there's all the people that actually wrote the words down. And it's through the filter of that human, human uh, person that's writing the words down, but it's all breathed out by God or inspired by God. And so God, the Spirit, speaks through the biblical authors as they write down the words on the pages. And so all of it comes from God. It's all God's authoritative word. All scripture is breathed out by God. But what's it useful for? It's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Hear this, though, that the man of God or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That the man or woman of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. That's the goal of reading these scriptures, of learning these scriptures, of being in Bible studies, of all the different things that we do with the scriptures. The goal is that God may use them to make us complete and equipped for every good work. The scriptures are supposed to form us. The scriptures are supposed to change us. The Bible is indeed intended to change us and to have an impact on our lives just like the image of a mirror in today's passage. James compares the Bible to a mirror. He says, If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now think for a moment about your getting ready this morning. And think, how many of you used a mirror when you got ready this morning? I did. It's often a part of our our getting ready routine. Now, think about what your face looked like in that mirror. Can you remember it? What what do you really look like? It's hard to remember what we actually look like. It's hard to remember what you can maybe remember some features of your face, maybe some things that stick out to you, but it's really hard to remember what your face actually looks like. And that's what we do when we go to a mirror. We look And we study the mirror closely, but then we walk away and we forget about it. And it's easy to do that with God's word. But there's another way that God's word is like a mirror. And that's that when we look in the mirror, especially when we're getting ready, we're looking in the mirror to help us. Now, I know there might be some people that shave without a mirror. I can't imagine shaving without a mirror. I think it would be a disaster. Or cutting my hair without a mirror. I I just don't know how I would do it. Because you need the mirror to guide you. The mirror lifts up an image of yourself and it shows you what you're looking like. But it also gives you a guide on what you are hoping to look like. And you can make the effective changes you need as you shave or you put on your makeup or whatever it is that you do looking at a mirror when you're getting ready in the morning. The mirror helps you to get ready. It helps you to put on your best self. And that's what God's word does for us. When we read God's word, it's like a mirror. And when you look at a mirror, you're not looking at a mirror just to look at the mirror. You're looking at the image that's in the mirror. And the image that the scriptures show us as we look in here is ourselves, just like you're looking at at a, a mirror in your bathroom. They reflect back to us who we really are. They reflect back to us our sinful nature. They convict us of the places where we're going wrong. They show us the places where we don't look like we're supposed to look. And then they help us 
to have a plan for correction and change that can, with God working in us, make us the different people and change our face so that we are the people that we're supposed to be. The scriptures are very much like a mirror, as James is saying. When we read the scriptures, we have to apply them. Just like you don't look in the mirror in the morning, you say, ah, my hair looks terrible, but you don't brush it. That's not how we use it. We look in the mirror and then we make the changes appropriate. And that's what we do with the scriptures. We look in the scriptures as our mirror each day. We ask God, what does this mean then? But what does it mean to me now? And how can I apply this to my life today? And then in doing that, God will start to reveal those things to you. And by his Holy Spirit, he'll start to change you from the inside out. Our faith, the things that we read in the Bible, should permeate every part of our lives. How we work, how we parent, how we grandparent, how we engage in friendships, how we treat people at the grocery store in a restaurant. All of it matters, and our faith should shine through all of it. Because we're not just Christians on Sunday mornings for an hour or two hours. We're Christians 24-7, every day of the week, when we're sleeping and when we're waking. Everything that we do, we do as Christians. Let's think about the word religion for a moment. The word religion. It comes from a Middle English word, and the original sense of it referred to people under monastic vows. The religious. You may have heard that term before. Religious life. Uh, wasn't people who go to church on Sunday. It was people who were uh, vowed to be in a monastery or a convent uh, or perhaps uh, in the Catholic priesthood. They were under vows to serve God in a particular way for the rest of their lives. And the Latin root of this word, before it was a Middle English word, had the sense of obligation or bond or reverence. And there's a sense in which this is true. Religion does oblige us in various ways. Some people talk about the Sunday obligation, which in the Catholic Church meant your responsibility to show up each and every Sunday in church and to receive communion. That was your Sunday obligation. And these religious obligations are intended to draw us closer to God. You could probably think of other obligations that we, that we have as Christians. In evangelical worlds, it might be the daily quiet time, reading your Bible and, and praying every day. That's an obligation. Coming to church weekly is an obligation. We have a whole list of member expectations that we find in the, the canons of our church that talk about the things that are expected of us as Christians. These are all obligations, things that, are, that we're called upon to do as Christians, to live out the Christian life and to live out our faith. And these religious obligations are intended to draw us closer to God. That's why we have these obligations in the first place. But it's entirely possible to go through the motions without letting the motions impact your life. And this is what we mean when we talk about empty religion. How many people have you heard that have written off religion because it's, it's empty? Religion can be empty if there's no faith in God at its core. Because faith in God is the core that makes the religion mean anything. The religion is like the, the externals, and without the internals, it makes no difference. Think about a car. 
If you have a car, most of you have cars, they're sitting out in the parking lot right now. What if that car looked great on the outside? It had, you know, the, the nice paint and there were no dents in the sides. You know, everything looked really good. It had tires that were filled up with air, but there was no engine on the inside of that car. What use would that car be to you? It would be of little to no use at all because the car couldn't take you anywhere without an engine. And similarly, religion is important. The, the externals of our faith, the spiritual disciplines that, that I and others commend to you as Christians, they are important tools to help you in your Christian life. But unless God is the core of it, all of those external things are meaningless. They make no difference. With God in the center, they make a lot of difference. You can't really drive a car without the externals either, right? You need a steering wheel. You need wheels on the car. You need a shell around the car to make the... All of that's important too, but without the engine, the car is pointless. And even worse, religion without faith can inoculate us against faith. Religion without faith can inoculate us against faith. It's like a, a vaccine against faith. We can start to believe that because we faithfully do a certain list of things, that we are in with God. And this is what's known as works righteousness. The idea that I am righteous because of the works that I do. It's our attempt to earn our ticket to heaven actually earning with our own works our ticket to heaven. But there's only one person who can get us safely into heaven, and that's Jesus Christ himself and what he's done for us on the cross. Religion is a good and necessary thing, as I've already talked about, but unless it's coupled with a living relationship with the living God, it is useless. It's like that same car, even with an engine, spinning its wheels on a treadmill and going absolutely nowhere. That's what religion does for us without a living faith in the living God. There's a really uh, troubling passage in the Gospel of Matthew. It's one we don't often like to, to look at because it, it really challenges us as Christians. But Jesus said it, and so we should listen to it. He says, this is chapter 7 of Matthew, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What is Jesus saying there? He's saying that there are some who are doing great works in his name, but all of those works are meaningless unless they know him. That knowing Jesus is the most important thing about it. And all of those things that we do for Jesus, those flow out of the, the living relationship that we have with him. They don't cause the living relationship with him. That's faith in Christ. That's the only way to have that living relationship is, is faith in Christ. And without that faith in Christ, all of those extra things do what I was just saying. They inoculate us against faith. They make us think that we are in with God. We're crying, Lord, Lord. We're prophesying. We're casting out demons. We're doing all kinds of stuff for Jesus. But unless we know him, 
unless we have a relationship with him, it doesn't matter. It's meaningless. We can believe all the right things, but if those beliefs beliefs don't change the way we live, none of it will matter. James says in 2.19, even the demons believe. It's not, God's not about head knowledge. It's not about acknowledging that God exists or acknowledging that Jesus died on a cross. That's all well and good. We need to believe that, that God exists and that Jesus died on a cross. But that belief has to go further than that. It has to go to a place of trust and relationship where we stake our entire life on Jesus and what he's done for us. That's what it means to have faith in Jesus. Even the demons believe that God exists but they haven't put their faith in him. So how do we keep from deceiving ourselves with empty religion? As I said before, it all has to do with having a living relationship with the living God and letting his word impact our lives. Don't let it just be an external thing. Let it sink deep into you. Meditate on the scriptures. Let them change the way you live. Let them change the faith that you have in God. Let them draw you closer to him. Let them put all of your trust and reliance and hope on Jesus. Thomas Cranmer, who was uh, one of the great founders of Anglicanism, the first uh, Protestant Archbishop of Canterbury, the one who wrote our prayer book and did much of the work necessary for the English Reformation, he wrote this in one of his sermons. He said, Uh, that we need to have a lively or living faith. He wrote, Be sure of your faith. Test it by your living. Look upon the fruits that come of it. Mark the increase of love and charity by it towards God and your neighbor. And so shall you perceive it to be a true and lively faith. If you feel and perceive such a faith in you, rejoice in it and be diligent to maintain it and keep it still in you. Let it be daily increasing and more and more be well working, so, you shall, so shall you be sure that you shall please God by this faith. God wants us to have a living faith in him. Not a dead faith, but a living faith. Not an intellectual assent to his existence, but a deep and abiding trust and friendship and love for him. I went to church for a lot of years before I figured this out. I knew all of the right Sunday school answers. We had these cool Sunday school pins. Uh, In in my Sunday school, you had the the first pin that you you got just for attending Sunday school. But then each year that you attended Sunday school, they had these little hooks with another little thing, and and they would hook onto the one below, and and it hung on there kind of like a shop sign. And you could get a lot of these. They They could really go down like all of your chest if you attended Sunday school for enough years. And I was that kid. I was there every week. I had lots of gold stars on my attendance chart. When the Sunday school asked questions, I was the one who knew the answers. But I didn't have a lively faith in God. And I knew something was missing. I just didn't know what it was. And I didn't figure it out until I went to a youth retreat when I was about 16 years old. And when I was there, one of the adult leaders who was praying with with the kids during ministry time, he spoke to me and he gave me a word from God and he said, Chris, you're relying on your parents' faith to get you through, and you need to own it as your own faith. And so I went back to my seat, and I quietly prayed, and I offered my life to God, 
And that made all of the difference. That's the beginning of my relationship with God, my lively faith. Before that, I believed in God. I would have always considered myself to be a Christian before that point. I never doubted God's existence or that Jesus died on the cross for me, but I didn't have a lively faith until that moment. And in those moments, my eyes opened up and I could see and hear God for the first time clearly. God wants a relationship with you, with each and every one of you. He desires it so much because he loves you so much. And if you've never taken the time to get to know God personally, there's no better day than today. Talk to me about it. I'd love to guide you through that. Now, if you've already got this kind of relationship, you need to deepen it each and every day through prayer and the reading of Scripture, like Thomas Cranmer was saying. He said, if you feel and perceive such a faith in you, rejoice in it and be diligent to maintain it. Your faith has to be maintained and sustained through daily disciplines. Keep it still in you. Let it be daily increasing more and more. Who of us couldn't use more faith in God? Who of us couldn't trust God more in our lives? All of us could. Because none of us are perfect and all of us are growing into the full stature of Jesus Christ. All of us are continuing to grow into the people God's called us to be. And so while one of my goals for this church is that we'd be full of mature Christians, we are never fully mature Christians until we stand face to face before the Lord. It's always a path towards greater maturity. Even the 95-year-old Christian who's been worshiping in church for years and years and years and has a deep faith in Christ, even she or he still needs to grow more in his or her faith. So how do we do that? James says in our passage today that the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. What James is saying is that we will be blessed when we read God's word and we put it into practice. When we read God's word and apply the truth of his word to our lives in real and tangible ways each and every day. There's a, a children's song that you may have heard in Sunday school growing up when you were getting your Sunday school pins. And it says, read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow grow, grow. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, grow, grow. It's really simple. It doesn't take a whole lot, but we have to do it, and we have to apply it. We can't let it be an external thing that we do out of obligation without being a doer of the word. Don't be a hearer only, because you can do that. You can read your Bible and pray every day, and not grow, grow, grow if you're not applying the truth of God's word to your life. And so if you've never read the whole Bible, do it. Go for it. But don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. Don't just read scripture, but meditate on it. Have the word of God implanted in you, as it says in verse 21. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Let God's word sink deep down into you and impact every area of your lives. But whatever you do, please don't just go through the motions. 
When you come to church, don't just come for the sake of coming. Come to worship the living God. When you come forward to receive communion, cherish the moment and know that you are feeding on the very body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And in the truest sense of the word religion, bind yourself to Jesus. Trust him with all you are and all that you have. And then you will indeed grow, grow, grow. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for your deep love for us and the deep love that Jesus has for us, that he was willing to sacrifice himself on the cross so that we might be reconciled to you. We pray that you would help us to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We pray that our times of reading the scriptures would be rich and deep and that you would show us the ways that you would have us grow. Help us to apply the truth of your word to our lives. And help us to grow each and every day into the full stature of your son, Jesus Christ. That the man or woman of God might be complete and equipped for every good work. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. This has been a production of Good Samaritan Anglican Church in Middleburg, Florida. For more sermons, sermon notes, and information about our congregation, please visit www.goodsamaritananglican.org sermons. If this podcast has been helpful to you, please subscribe and leave us a review with your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. God bless you.